Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. The passage may be found in the Pew Bibles on page 876. I will be preaching from, I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they say, and they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and, the, and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed? On that day, let the one who was on, who was on the top house with his goods in the house not come down and take him away. And likewise, when the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but the one whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, and one will be taken and the other left, and there will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. May God bless our understanding this reading from his holy word. And I wanted to thank everyone for your prayers for my family. Uh, my mother's brother died, and they planned the funeral and uh, could not find anyone to do the service because their pastor was out of town, and my mom volunteered me. And it was on Sunday afternoon up in Atlanta. And so uh, my mom calls me and says, you need to call your aunt. My aunt says, thank you for volunteering to do the service. And I was like, I'm supposed to be preaching in Tampa. <laughs> and so thank, thank you, Jeremy, for um, on the spur of the moment being willing to preach so that I could get up to Atlanta. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all your mercies to us in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would um, open our hearts to hear about your mercies, 
to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, to be um, eager for his return. Help, help me as I uh, proclaim your word. Help us all to um, receive the gospel of our Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So I got back from my parents' house uh, yesterday, and they always have something going on. Life is never dull. Uh, they live about 30 miles southwest of Atlanta. They live out in the country, and they have 12 acres with a pond. And a neighbor across the street has two ponds. About five years ago, a couple of geese stopped over on their way from Canada to uh, wherever geese go when they fly south. And they stopped at my parents' pond, and they decided to feed these geese. So the next year, uh, five geese came, and then the next year more. This year, my parents had 42 geese. And so um, my mom feeds them by hand. They come and just eat right out of her hand. And when they hear the tractor crank up with the, the corn feed, they all come up uh, waddling up to the house from the lake. So um, a doe also waits at the, the edge of the woods because it knows that the geese are eating the, the corn feed. And so after my mom goes inside... Then the deer come up and uh, eat the leftovers. And if something spooks these geese, they fly up in the air and they fly around the circumference of our property. And they'll do it twice with all the honking and carrying on that goose, geese do. And then they'll land in the lake. So the geese were an added bonus to our trip to my parents' house this year. But you, you couldn't really walk outside their house without stepping in geese droppings. Um, and and I'm, I'm up in, in uh, Atlanta preparing the sermon. And every time the geese would come up from, for the, to the house for my mom to feed them, I couldn't help but think about uh, verse 37 here in our passage. It's the last verse, and it says, As they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And in my mind's eye, of course, he's talking about vultures, but I was thinking of all these geese gathering to eat from my mother's hands. Our passage this morning is about the coming of the kingdom of God. And in our passage, Jesus talks about it coming in three different phases. The kingdom arrived when our Lord Jesus began his three-year ministry that led, to, led up to his death and his resurrection. And so this is phase one. Uh, then Jesus, Jesus talks about phase one in verses 20 and 21. And we are now living in phase two the time between Christ's resurrection and his physical return. Jesus taught his disciples about phase 2 in verses 22 through 25. And the bulk of our passage this morning uh, is concerned with phase 3, which is found in verses 26 through 37, the physical return of Christ. So this sermon is going to be different 
than some of my typical sermons because there's so much misinformation and incorrect teaching regarding uh, the physical return of Christ. I want to address um, what this passage says. And I'm afraid that I'll take more of a lecture stance this morning uh, than I would typical, typically do to better help us understand what Christ has told us about his physical return. Uh, I would urge you to keep your Bibles open this morning, uh, as I would urge you every morning, but it will help you keep up with what we are um, what we are doing as I point you to this verse and that verse. And I'd urge you to lay aside your preconceived notions about all the sensational signs uh, regarding the imminent return of Christ. I think you will find that Jesus gives some clear and straightforward teaching regarding his coming that sweeps away a lot of the sensationalism. I think you'll also find that Jesus uses the same illustrations to mean different things in different contexts. He uses some illustrations at the end of his teaching in verses 26 through through 37 that he uses in another context and it has a completely different meaning. In other words... Let's look at intently at what Jesus says here in this passage and not read into it uh, from our preconceived notions uh, regarding, uh, in, regarding other passages. So our passage begins with the Pharisees questioning Jesus about the coming of the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees, they were looking for a a physical uh, manifestation of the kingdom. They were looking for uh, the Messiah to come and to overthrow the Roman armies. They were looking forward to the Messiah coming and physically being coronated as the king of the Jews. But in verse 20, Jesus told them that the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that are obvious. In fact, in a twist of irony, Jesus told them that the kingdom was standing right there in front of them. But they were so spiritually blind that they could not see it. Verses 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here he is. Or there, I'm sorry, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Some translations, uh, some of the older translations, suggest that Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is inside you. But I assure you, that's not what Jesus is saying. Because he's talking to the Pharisees, and the kingdom of God was not inside them. Uh, Rather, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God was in their presence because the king was standing in their midst. When Jesus came into the world preaching the gospel of the kingdom, by definition, the kingdom had come because the king had arrived. And the coming of Christ into the world was phase one for the coming of his kingdom. Phase two 
after the Pharisees uh, raised the issue of the coming of the kingdom, Jesus, and I'm presuming here, pulled his disciples aside privately and began teaching them about the kingdom. Because it says in verse 22, And he said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see um, one of, the, one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. He emphasized uh, to the Pharisees that the kingdom of God was already present, but now to his disciples, he is emphasizing what theologians call the not yet of the kingdom. Jesus would soon die, he would be raised from the grave, and he would ascend in, into heaven, and this would commence Phase two of the coming of the kingdom of God. And as I said, we are now living in phase two between the resurrection of Christ and his physical return. The kingdom is coming progressively as the gospel is preached and as people trust in Christ and come to live under the rule of the Lord Jesus. And after Jesus was in heaven... The disciples then would enter into an intense time of suffering as they preached the gospel all over the world. They would suffer persecution. You can read about Jesus telling them this in Matthew chapter 10. The people who believed the gospel, they also would suffer persecution and abuse. And ever since Jesus has ascended into heaven, his people have suffered different types, different forms, different degrees of persecution. We had um, first Sunday in November, the uh, day of prayer for the persecuted church. And we got to see uh, people around the world that are presently living under the threat of death because of their uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we hear things in our culture uh, being said about Christians. Uh, we can feel some of the oppression, but it's minor, but it's still there. Jesus said, as he was hated, so also his followers would be hated. So what's happening in our nation, what's happening around the world and the persecution of believers should not be surprising to us. As Jesus was rejected, we also will be rejected by our culture. Because, the, because this phase includes suffering, Christians have always yearned for the re return of Christ uh, so that the suffering and the struggle might end. The struggle with our own sin, the struggle and suffering from without, from people who hate us, and we yearn for the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus, in instructing his disciples in verse 22, he said, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. In other words, he's saying, you'll long for my return, but it'll be a long way off. It won't happen immediately. But then there will also be no shortage of charlatans 
who know of our yearning for Christ's return and will take advantage of God's people. They'll say, look, there he is uh, in Utah. He came secretly. Or there he is. He came in 1919. Or look, he's coming within the next 10 years. And it goes on and on. And Jesus said, don't listen to them. Verse 23. He said, and they will say to you, look there. Or look here. Do not go out or follow them. There have been countless frauds claiming some secret knowledge of Christ's return. Either he has returned, they may claim, or he is about to return. Look at this sign or that sign. But Jesus says, do not listen to them. Could he have been any more plain and clear? And if I had time, I could quote many other instances uh, where Jesus tells us that no one, he says not even himself, knows the time of his return. Sadly, many evangelical leaders tell us every generation that our generation will be the last. I remember as a brand new Christian, I became a Christian in 1986, and I read this book. It was entitled The 1980s Countdown to, Air, to Armageddon. And here we are in 2021. The book was wrong. It was not only wrong in its prediction, it was also wrong to make the prediction. Jesus says it will be a surprise when he comes that no one will know when it's about to happen. Verses 26 through 30. Listen to what he's saying here. He says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the sun of man is revealed. Jesus is saying here it will come suddenly and it will be known by everyone. Verse 24. He says for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side of the other or from one side to the other, so will the son of man be in his day. His return will be like 1,000 lightning bolts hitting all at the same time along a 24,000-mile loop around the earth. In other words, every eye will see him. It won't be hidden. It won't be secret. Uh, It will be known by everybody. When I played football in high school, uh, one day the practice was nearly over. And it began to look like it was going to rain. We, as, you know, we noticed, hey, coach, it looks like it's about to rain. Uh, we need to take it in before uh, the lightning comes. And, of course, the coach said, you can get in your wind sprints before we go in. And that's why we wanted to go in, because we did our wind sprints at the end of practice. And 
as he is joking about how the rain, when it comes, will be refreshing as we do the, the wind sprints. All of a sudden, a bolt of lightning hit one of the, the, the light poles, you know, and uh, some of the players fell on the ground. Nobody asked the coach's permission whether, whether practice was over. We were all just sprinting for the locker room as fast as we could go. Can you imagine? Jesus says his coming will be like a lightning bolt flashing from the east is from the west. And it will flash all the way around the world. No one will be in question whether Jesus has really returned. There will be no confusion as to what's happening. And until then, we only bring disgrace to Christ by predicting his coming uh, in this time period or that time period. Our job as Christians is to be busy about his kingdom and to be ready for his return. The only clue that Jesus gives us about the time of his return is that it will be like any other period of history. People will be doing what people do. They'll be marrying and giving in marriage. They'll be eating. They'll be drinking. They'll be going to work. They'll be coming home from work. What Jesus is saying is he will come back at a period in which people are self-consumed with their material concerns. When has there been a period that people were not consumed with their material concerns? People are always preoccupied with their possessions. Their possessions uh, possess them. And it was like that in Noah's day. It was like that in, in Lot's day. Of course, it is like that in our day. People ignoring God as they always do. Jesus is not talking to the Pharisees in verses 26 through 30. He's talking to his disciples. And so we need to ask, are we preoccupied with our possessions? Are we ready for the Lord's return? Ralph Davis, in his commentary, puts it in a very practical way. He said, you too are liable to be so taken up with, your, with brushing your teeth, choosing your earrings, closing a real estate deal, building houses, going to work, getting through school, passing your exams, taking kids to music lessons, running junior to the little league, going to church, to the beauty shop and to the grocery store, text messaging, moving, uh, moving around the yard, or finding a new... Uh, hair salon, paying the orthodontist, getting allergy shots. It's almost like you're as busy as those people in Sodom. And Jesus doesn't talk about the wickedness of Sodom or the wickedness of people in Noah's day. He simply says that they were too preoccupied to be ready for the Lord's coming. He says... It's the frenzied pace of one thing after another that loses sight of the coming of the Son of Man. Listen again to verses 26 through 30, because this is so searching. 
Jesus says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. When Jesus comes back, it will be sudden and it will be terrifying. If Jesus were to come back tonight, what would happen to you? Are you ready? Is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you too preoccupied with your possessions? Will you be spared? That's the question our Lord Jesus wants us to ask this morning as we uh, cover this passage of Scripture. Verses 31 through 37 are often misunderstood because it's tempting to think that Jesus means the same thing when he uses these illustrations in another place. And we make the mistake when we read too much into what Jesus is saying rather than reading what he clearly says in the context. In this context, Jesus is telling us of the suddenness and the tragedy of not being ready when he, when he returns. He's saying that he will come in judgment when he returns. Jesus is not telling us about the great tribulation. He's not even telling us about the rapture here in this passage. If you will only look at what Jesus says in this context. Now we'll get to Luke 21 eventually. Maybe we'll get there before the Lord Jesus comes back. Um, and, but he uses these illustrations in Luke 21 in a different context, and it is illegitimate to transfer all that teaching into this context. So here's what he says in verses 31 through 37. On that day, let the one who is on the roof, on the housetop, with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. And you know what happened to Lot's wife. Even as she was leaving Sodom, her heart was still in Sodom, and she turned back longing after Sodom, Sodom and became a pillar of salt. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Can you imagine being in bed with your spouse and Jesus comes back and your spouse does not know the Lord? There will be two women grinding together, verse 35, one will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures, not the geese, will gather. Jesus mentioned the days of Noah and the days of Sodom, but he doesn't mention their wickedness. He only talks about their preoccupation with the busyness of life. 
They were so possessed by their possessions and their daily routines that they were suddenly overtaken by the judgment of God. And I wonder, are there things that are so important to you that you would be like Lot's wife? You have a hard time letting them go? And a lot of the things that seem so important, a lot of the things that we give our lives to are really kind of frivolous. And I, was, I, I would ask you, are there things that you might want to put aside for the month of December and test your heart? Are these things so important to me that I can't put them aside? And that ought to teach you that they may be too important. Young people, what about video games? Putting them aside for a month to spend time reading your Bible. Or older folks putting aside the phones except for necessary use in order to seek the Lord and test and examine uh, if your, your heart is drawn away toward things that are frivolous. might be uh, more difficult than you think. It might be a bigger blessing than you could imagine to spend extra time reading the Bible rather than frittering time away on things that don't have eternal value. When Jesus comes back for his people, he will be coming in sudden judgment against those who are not ready for his return, and it will be terrifying. Jesus says in verse 33, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If you want to keep your life, if you want to keep your autonomy, if you want to keep your way, your lifestyle, your priorities at all costs, you have made a God out of yourself. And it means that you're not ready for the Lord's return. Jesus says, to be ready, you must lose your life. You must give your life to Jesus if you want to keep it you realize that you were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You no longer belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus. And when Jesus comes back with judgment, it's not because he's angry that people aren't ready. Rather, he comes back with judgment because we all deserve his judgment. We all stand under his condemnation. And the only way that we can come out from underneath that condemnation is coming to the Lord Jesus, entrusting ourselves to him. He suffered the condemnation for us on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Do you know the Lord Jesus? Have you entrusted yourself to him? Are you ready for his return as we pray together? Lord Jesus, as we have looked at this awesome passage of Scripture, I pray that you would make us all ready.
for your return. But Lord, as is so often the case in your kingdom, the way up is down. The way to save our lives is to lose it by giving it to the Lord Jesus. And I ask, Father, that you would um, prepare and work in every heart that we might all trust the Lord Jesus and trust our affairs and trust our life and trust our futures to him, we ask in his name. Amen.